0: Thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Hiring Roundtable. I am thrilled to welcome four of my esteemed colleagues in the talent access space here, each one of us coming from a different angle. And I think that's really what this show is about, because I want to give job seekers, hiring managers, recruiters, everyone out there a different take. So we're going to kind of have a state of the union. We're going to go around. We're going to talk about what's working, what's not working from a candidate perspective, from a hiring manager, recruiter perspective, and let everyone jump in. So anybody who cannot see us on LinkedIn, you won't know that I'm talking to you, but I'm going to put the link there. I can't post on linkedin great thank you uh come join us and we'll get the party started give me one second there all right cool so let's start with going around the room some quick intros tell us who you are and what you do best we will start with ladies first kelly welcome to the show hey
2: adam thanks for having me i'm super excited to share the panel with everyone here i am kelly ripnack the founder of knack digital uh thus the ripnack um basically i've been staffing for 15 years Started off as a 360 recruiter, which basically means for all of you out there, working candidate side and working with the clients, which obviously has a great advantage, um, had always been really ingrained in the DMV, DC, Baltimore area. However, due to the pandemic, that has definitely escalated uh, my reach and specialty, but I've always been really focused in digital marketing and technology.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. Kelly, welcome. And now I finally know how to pronounce your last name. So I was waiting for that. I was like, I'm just gonna leave it for her and have her figure it out. Well, awesome. It's, it's, uh, I've been a big fan of you for a long time. Uh, you, you call it as you see it. And you're always adding value to job seekers. Moving over to your right, uh, Mr. Ben Nader or Natter. There's no L in there. So let's just remember that for future marketing materials. And thank you for uh, being patient with me on that one. My designer was
3: a little bit slow. She was out for a bit. Well, Ben, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Adam. Uh, finally, I think we were going to podcast, but uh, it's it's a pleasure to be on this roundtable. So, if anyone does not know who I am, etc., uh, my name is Ben Nader, and I am the founder of Recruiter Empire, um, which is basically what I call the largest growth network for recruiters. So, my main mission is to basically help uh, entrepreneurs, soon to be recruiters, recruiters, and people in the staffing business basically build uh recruiting empires uh my history and little background is that i started my recruiting journey 7 years ago uh built my own recruiting agency uh here in seattle scaled that uh and then moved into the uh coaching space uh, as far as recruitment goes and kind of that's where i'm at right now that plus a little uh little software on the side uh some rec tech as well.
0: So little rec yeah. tech on the side. Well, again, if anybody does not, not know Ben, he's got an incredible presence uh over on Facebook that I participate in when I can, built a really good community over there, lots of knowledge sharing. And it's good to have a place for us recruiters to learn, to bitch and moan, to little have a little bit of everything and uh sharing the knowledge. And uh we'll we'll get into the business sense of it in a little bit, but let's continue down the introductions and we'll follow the Brady Bunch here. Adam Broda, welcome to the show, my man.
4: Thanks for having me. This is a lifelong dream fulfilled, as I've said on LinkedIn multiple times. Um, I can die in peace now, um, (laughs) which I'm pretty psyched about. Yeah, if you you haven't heard of me before, um, I'm really not all that special. I guess I should say that first and foremost. I'm a pretty normal person. Um, I, I run a career coaching business. We're real small. It's called Broda Coaching. It's because my last name is Broda. Uh, we help people transition from non-tech jobs into, into tech and engineering jobs. And that's mainly based off of my own experience doing that. So I still have a full-time job. I'm a hiring manager in the tech industry. I primarily specialize in the product program and software space. That's a lot of what I hire for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I just basically turned all that knowledge into material to try, help, to try and help people do the same thing um, to, to break into that industry. Uh, outside of, of work. Yeah, I'm a dad. I have two kids. Um, I'm right in the middle of moving across the country, which is why I'm in my dad's basement right now. Uh, but but yeah, we got a lot going on. That's, uh, that's me in a nutshell.
0: Well, awesome. Welcome, Adam. And uh, you have fantastic content on LinkedIn. I'm excited to get your perspective as a hiring manager. And that's why I wanted to have different folks here, recruiters in-house, we outhouse. Some of us, as I like to joke around with and give a little bit different perspectives. And last but not least, Mr. Job Connection Tuesday himself, Mr. Parks and Rec shirt wearing your boy hat
1: <laughs> man over there. Dan Roth, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thank you for allowing a second New York Jew to be on stage. I'm still waiting for my pastrami on rise. Thank you, uh, especially since I thought I was going to be on the podcast, not the podcast live. Uh, <laughs> it's good to it's good to see everyone uh, for those that don't know and based on the comments a bunch of you uh, do uh, my name is Dan Roth I wear a lot of hats I'm a neurodiverse recruiter I work in corporate as a recruiter for Amazon but I also run the number one uh, job search platform on LinkedIn connecting job seekers to recruiters which is what Adam was alluding to at Job Connection Tuesdays 2021, I put job seekers in front of 3.6 million people, year to date 740,000. I also have my own group on LinkedIn that many of the people here are associated with called the Job Connection Tuesday Collective, where I bring together some of the top recruiters, uh, resume writers, coaches, influencers, and job seekers in a safe, bias-free environment where they can get the resources that they need and they don't have to pay a dime. Well, there um, you go. now the free show.
0: now the free pitch yeah. section of the show is over, and no, I'm kidding. You Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And, and you know I'm also a professional speaker. Um, and if if you like me, please send bagels, uh, pastrami, or pizza, because none of which they have anything decent here on the West Coast.
0: <laughs> all right now now we got the form now we got the formalities out of the way and again it's great to have different perspectives and i think that's what the show is all about also a fun fact most of the time when we do have a podcast live we do flip it into a proper audio pod podcast so I just want to put that out there to everybody we we have some great live shows uh because the content we generate is awesome and it's organic and it's real and people absolutely love it so let's get the show started right here and i want to break it down into some questions and sharing thoughts on a couple of different perspectives. One we're gonna talk about from the candidate side right now, what the hell is happening in this market over the last two years. And just to note, we have to be industry specific when we talk about you know, unemployment, when we talk about, for example, I work in digital marketing recruiting. It's been, and Adam could attest to this, the demand and the activity has been insane since day one of the pandemic. Because if you think about it, everyone's shopping habits, all of their actions, all of their communication moved online from offline. So it hasn't stopped for me. And the demand has been incredibly high. And candidates, rightfully so, are playing that arbitrage to their advantage of being a candidate-driven market, You know, pushing for higher salaries. Why shouldn't they? Why shouldn't somebody try to get as much money as humanly possible right now? But there is a dark side to that. There's another side to that. Kelly, what are your thoughts? What's happening in the market right now?
2: Oh, what's happening in the market? Right. Where do we start? I mean, as you mentioned, the salaries are driving higher and higher, and I think, Along with that, too, and I've again, I've been recruiting for 15 years. So I started in 2008 when it was, you know, recession, it was terrible. So I've seen both sides of the coin. Now, you know, if we're just talking about salary itself, definitely seeing the demands. And I think a lot of that has come from and we can talk about salary, transparency, obviously legislation has been put into effect where Colorado, I think I just saw, yeah, Washington was passing it as well. It's coming
0: to New York soon. Yep.
2: Yeah. Companies have to put the range in and, you know, I have different opinions about that. I think I'm sure we can all attest to the the pluses and minuses of that, of, of course, yeah. combating yeah. equity and making everything equitable. At the same time, I've seen organizations where they'll put the range and depending on <laughs> who huge. that person is. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. A range hundred, anywhere thousand. from 80 to $150,000. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> because they, they have, have to.
2: Yeah, right? they have
0: to, they, they, have to th- they have to throw a range in there. And, and guys, I mean, I'll throw it out to the group here. Tell me one human being that's not going to ask for the highest number when they see a range. <laughs> right. Like who who wouldn't? I mean, let's be honest here. Who wouldn't and why shouldn't they? Except when they go in and you have a candidate who's technically at the bottom of that range. And then, you know, as a hiring manager, you're going to be like, what the F? Adam, uh, what, what are you experiencing and what are your thoughts on the salary ranges uh, transparency?
4: I have a lot of thoughts. Probably couldn't express them all in a couple of minutes, I would say that, yeah, as a hiring manager we've we've seen some pretty crazy things in in the last let's just say eighteen months uh you know I hire senior you know level and principal level product people, and the numbers that that people are demanding are unprecedented, but I would say at the same time, the numbers that poaching companies are throwing out at the talent are also unprecedented i had a mm-hmm. I had a girl leave with a hundred and fifty k offer over what we were already paying her. And, insane. and, and it's just nuts, you know, dealing with that is, is, is new in terms of, you know, salary transparency, like Kelly was saying, there's, there's pros and cons. I'm all for improved DE&I and being more transparent, but you know, to have these crazy huge ranges there, there's a lot of downside to that in the way that people are going to negotiate and the way that people are going to mm-hmm. feel entitled to different pay. Um, again right you can have somebody at the same level come into the same company and do the same job but what they bring to the table you know is very different right the impact that they create the value that they create the what they deliver for the company the ROI that they produce are different things so you know there's a lot more pay conversation happening which is good but it doesn't always lead to the best employee experience right because it it's very perspective driven so I think we need to be careful. I'm for it. I'm excited to see where this goes, but I I do get a little scared from time to time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting too. Ben, you know, you're you're deeply rooted uh in the recruiter world. What's the word on the street as far as salary transparency from that perspective?
3: So listen, um everything's changed, right? You know, when we can look back <clears throat> and say, okay, two and a half years or two years, whatever, it's all a blur. Um, pretty much everything's changed, right? So it's, it's clear. I think we can all agree it's clearly a candidate market, right? And with that being said, it's also a recruiter market. Um, now what gets really unique and what I'm seeing, um, from this, uh, from this vantage point that I have is that people are, are going in and they're, they're asking for these exorbitant amounts of money, right? Or they're expecting these, these large, Large, um, large salaries or large sign-on bonuses, etc., because it's it's a huge paradigm shift, right? From what where we were, you know, 2018 or whatever, right. right? And so at this point, people are just okay, just throwing throwing this out, like throwing, you know, yeah, you know, I'm worth 180,000 when really they're just worth 110, you know. So it's 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 a candidate market, and that's why I think we're 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 fueling a lot of that with these candidates. Um, that, that's happening, which puts us in a trivial spot for hiring Truders. managers. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, recruiters, right? And like hiring managers, like Adam, you know, yeah, you're, you're sitting in a scenario where you've got people leaving for these crazy sign-ons and, and, and all that stuff. And so it, it puts everybody in a precarious position. But, um, I don't know. In, in a way, it's really good for the recruiter, right? In a way, it's also really good for the candidate. Um, but yeah, the clients kind of, kind of taking a hit.
0: Yeah, everyone's kind of taking a hit across the board here. And I'd love to get the perspective from from Dan here, working in a mega global conglomerate like Amazon. Talk a little bit about the concept when we're talking salaries of realistic salary bands, because I think candidates know about it. They think it. But some people are like, why, why shouldn't I try to get as much money as I can? But there's actually budgets in companies and there's set levels of how much they could pay somebody. Talk to us a little bit without divulging all of Bezos's budget ban <laughs> secrets here. Um, Talk to us about what you're seeing in the market and your take when it comes to
1: compensation. So unfortunately, I have to say what I'm about to say, which is everything I say is on behalf of me and not on behalf of my employer. My opinion is that of my own because yada, yada, yada. Plus I'm a disruptor and my my opinion has a tendency to be a little bit contrarian to almost everybody in the industry. Um, There's a couple of flaws in what everybody's talking about. First of all, you have to have a system that allows people to qualify in order for them to reach the max. And right now we're still in a society that there's a lot of women, a lot of minorities, a lot of lower income that don't have the ability based on the basic qualifications to even reach that point where they qualify for a job to ask for a max in the same vein. um, With this era that we've been in for the last 450 years of systemic oppression, um, a lot of women and minorities are kind of uh, trained just through growing up that they're not going to get the highest salary. So they may not be asking for those amounts. And I know that the right. initial reaction is to, is to go, Hey, everybody's going to ask the highest. It's not realistic. Um, there's a lot of people that are going to be reticent because they don't want to be seen as overly expensive when they need the job. Uh, the now, as far as the market, I know I'm not answering your question, but I wasn't really planning on it from the start because I had so many different directions. <laughs> but uh, the, the other thing that-
0: Be I contrary, that people, my friend.
1: Yeah, the people need to be aware of is that this is not sustainable. Right now, the top 5% of companies have a bar that's so far above that of the norm that at some point, those borderline candidates that are getting in a really high salary now are going to become uh, very uncertain of their future when in three to five years, companies realize, okay, this isn't sustainable in next five to 10, who are we gonna drop out? So it it puts job seekers at a gross disadvantage because those that, and you can't blame them. You can't say to somebody, oh, well, I got in. It's not their fault, but because of that dynamic, if, you, if you're talking about 50 people and you look at the bottom 10 that got in and you notice a noticeable gap in experience and level, then those are the people that are going to be at risk. And that's my concern. So I'll stop there.
0: Yeah, and, and and that that brings up a great one. So let's talk about this. And I'm calling it the great recalibration because here's my hypothesis, and I'd love to get everyone's kind of thoughts on this. Here's what's going to happen. A lot of people, rightfully so, are playing the game. They're they're currently a manager. Let's say they're making $100,000 a year. Companies are desperate to hire a director. They're going up to one seventy five. dollars there. What person would not be like, shit, I'm going to go for that right now? They're going to get it some companies are desperate they're not doing their full due diligence and they need they're desperate to make a hire because we all know what happens when open roles attrition happens people leave and it becomes a vicious cycle so they're going to try to jump and make hires quickly what's going to happen in in six 12 months from now when the rubber hits the road and that candidate that I was hired as a manager may not be stepping up right they may not be stepping up to that role as a director and they're going to lose their jobs and we're going to be right back at this. So the great recalibration is going to happen. I'm calling it here right now, March 7th, 2022, mm-hmm. that this is a real thing. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Adam, as a hiring manager, is this something that you even thought about or something conversations that are happening? Like the, like, are you guys stretching or pushing the hires on? I'm not saying someone's unqualified because you're also looking at people with, with aptitude. Right, you're looking at people who can make that jump, who have the ability, who are ready for it. But are you, are you making any of these stretch hires that you might be concerned about? Or let's just say hypothetically.
4: Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would say that nine times out of ten, the the preference is always going to be to go internal. Right? It's it's. Cheaper, it's better for the company. So if we can stretch, we're going to stretch inside. Of course. We're going to push somebody on the inside. And that's that's probably going to be the preference in terms right. of what Internal I Internal
0: promotions are real or quote-unquote the hitting job they market. Are it, they are real.
4: They are real. What I would say, though, again, from my knothole in terms of what I'm seeing is – and this kind of relates back to the last question – is that as we push for pay transparency and more people talk about what they earn and we're putting more information into the job descriptions – we also have to be more transparent about what is valuable, right? How are we calculating what you should be making, right? It, not everybody gets to make the top of the range. That is just how it works. So if you want to talk to, you know, your friend Bill and your friend Sally, and one's making one seventy-five and you're making one fifty, and the other's making one thirty-five, and you all do the same job at the same level, the manager—that's me—in many cases is going to be okay. Well, this is why this is you why. Paid what what was you know what was decided and it's based off performance based off of xyz we're going to see attrition from that that's the other part of this i i think the more open the you know the kimono becomes there's going to be more people that don't like what they hear and the response to that is also going to be really interesting right um again kind of what dan was hitting on depending on your background and you know what your career path has been you might respond to that feedback very differently so to kind of answer the question, I think I'm 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 definitely stretching people on the inside, but I'm also preparing for more turnover on the inside,
0: which yeah, let's, makes let's, me look yeah. outside. Yeah, let's talk about that for a moment here, um, Ben. I want to get your perspective too from someone who's doing a lot of recruiters. Turnover is good and bad for recruiters, right? Like obviously we don't, we want turnover. We don't want turnover before ninety days. If you're working on a ninety day guarantee, that's that's something we're really seeing right here. And this is why I say that: are people jumping at jobs for money? And opportunities, and then they have buyers' remorse. You know, two months in, when they say, "Shit, this company maybe misled me. Maybe they just told me what I wanted to hear." What do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pose this out to to Dan Kelly and Ben. I want to get your perspectives, but we'll start with Ben on this one.
3: Yeah, absolutely, 100. percent. So, yeah, all over the place, right? Considering, like I said before, candidate market, right? So, it, or, or or perceived candidate market. Okay, let's put it that way. uh Either way you want to put it, but that means candidates have options, right? You know, and that's why they're going for these top high level numbers and all that stuff, chasing the money, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And with, with, with all that happening, yeah, there's turnover like crazy. Um, people are jumping ship and they're, because I mean, if you look at it from one perspective, right? Uh, candidates go into the market, they, you know, basically have, uh, on average six options, just, at their disposal. Like if like, they're intervening right with away. you,
0: they're intervening with your competitor. Just remember that. Yep.
3: Absolutely. They're competitors, they're competitors, the competitors of them and et cetera, et cetera. So basically, yeah, the, 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 the attrition and all that and everything. And and the turnover is nuts right now. I mean, it's in the wild, wild West kind of uh, as far as what I'm seeing and from, from the recruiters that I work with and, and the whole network and everything. Um, Yeah. A lot of people are just flipping and jumping ship and seeing, you know, the shiny objects in them, like what, what, what can they do for me? Or what can they do for me? Or if they don't hire me fast enough, I'm going here. Like, right? you know what I mean? Like all that's happening. Um, so we're, we're in new territory. I mean, you know, and in that territory, a lot of, a lot of things change. So, um, I, I know a lot of other people have, you know, different opinions or maybe, maybe they, they echo my opinion, but, um, absolutely. I feel like a lot of churn is happening for sure. Um, and people realize kind of like, let, let's just put it this way, right? I, I'll, I'll totally go here. I Please. think in the past two years, two and a half years, everyone's got, gotten woke, right? Can we agree, right? Can we candidates? And, and, partners, and, also,
0: and also perceived wokeness, yes.
3: Yeah, right. And perceived <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole
0: other podcast, but we'll go with it, go with it. We're but following this you.
3: perceived wokeness, right? You know, everyone's like, well, I'm worth this. And this is what I'm going to do. And hey, I've got six job offers and I've got 12 more opportunities behind that. So, you know, churn is, churn is definitely a real thing people are dealing with for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Dan, what say
1: you? So first, I want to commend Ben for something that he said that kind of got glanced over. Um, Perceived candidate market. This is not a candidate market. Uh, You can't call a candidate market something that has been influenced by the great resignation where people are forcibly having to leave opportunities for other opportunities to exist. I can't get behind that, and I get a lot of flack for it. I like that. Um, Yeah, I mean, just from a human perspective, it's not an accurate depiction. As far as churn goes, I again have to point out that it really depends on which market you're speaking about. If you're speaking about the top 10% of the market, absolutely. You're going to see two dichotomies between here and here. Because those people that previously may not have had opportunity on the lower end are getting that opportunity at the higher end. Um, But it's almost comical because the way that we're seeing this churn rate go, you have the people that are understanding the great recalibration that Adam's uh, talking about. Point. And then you have the people that are thinking, okay, well if I get the, either they're not thinking or they're going to take the job with the thought that okay, and and this is real numbers people. Like I want to be very clear on this. What I'm about to say is real numbers. They may be able for the next 3 to 5 years to make four times more per year than they're making now. So they're thinking, okay, this sets me up for the next 10 to 12 years if I'm basing it off of this salary. So heck no this is the podcast. so shit even if even if i don't wind up with a job after that i have enough coverage so that's kind of where i see it and i just i don't get the impression people are being really really intelligent in this market everything is so flash and the other thing that i want to bring into this that we could touch on later on is that this pandemic has created this influx of people that are stranded right now in the tech world. Software developers are a dime a dozen. You can't walk you can't turn in in two directions without th- without seeing 15 of them. Um project managers, people are leaving teaching to go into LD and ed tech yeah, at such a rapid rate. But It's creating this pool and this pool doesn't have experience because they're career transitioners. Now they're getting stuck. And where do those people go? So, uh, you know, I know I'm a little bit off, but
0: no, I think, I think that's a really interesting perspective. And and Kelly, what are your thoughts here? I want to, I want to kind of piggyback on what Dan's saying, because I think there's something to this right now. Do you think that there's going to be people who, you know, are, are, are are jumping ship taking, you know, these, these flashy offers and either they're not going to be set up for success they're going to hit a point where, hey, a year from now, they're going for their performance review and they're expecting a raise. And the hiring manager is like, uh, raise? I, I literally gave you more than anyone in this company is making. We needed to make a hire and you're making more than the CEO right now. I mean, I'm kind right. of exaggerating, but you guys get the gist there. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's a matter of going in and managing expectations. I mean, I personally would have a high bar set if I went to a company you know, earning hundred K more than what I had previously, I talk to a lot of people who get a little bit nervous about that as well, of understanding what the expectations are going into that company. So hopefully that they're aware of that as well as they are entering these positions and being held accountable for the goals that they need to meet. So um, I will kind of take a different avenue with the turnover too, is it. a lot of this, you know, somebody's with a company for four months, I get a call, this place is terrible, is I'm seeing it's not even the salary. I think it's a matter of whether it's all virtual interviewing, that either the vetting is not going through properly on both sides of determining culture fit, whether the position is a good fit, whatever it might be. And I'm seeing a lot of turnover just because the culture is not a fit. So I can't tell you how how many people that I've seen over the past six months who after, you know, Management told me I was going to be doing this and then my boss left Mm -hmm. after a month or you know, DEI is not a real thing here, even though they told me that they were going to be doing this and that. So I think that I'm really just seeing a big turnover salary aside that the companies are just not turning out to be intentional or not, whether whoever was doing the interview just wasn't aware of what the position evolved, what the position entailed because it was a new position or... They were just being blatantly misled into the role. But I have personally seen a lot of turnover just due to everything beyond the salary. I
0: don't I mean, know if
2: you've seen anything like it as well.
0: Yeah, Nothing. absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to get Adam's take on this when you're coaching candidates. Let's talk about the onus. We, we hear a lot of shit on LinkedIn about companies misleading, hiring managers misleading, malicious, intentional or not. Because sometimes it's like, hey, listen, I I really do believe in this company. I've been working here a number of years. This is what I've experienced. and Things have changed over the last couple of years. And in the same breath in the back of my head, I'm still going to kind of tell this candidate what I want them to hear because we need to make this hire. So there's a balance there, for better or worse. But, Adam, talk to us how you're coaching your candidates because the onus, also the responsibility is on the candidate to do their own due diligence before they accept an offer. Talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing, what you're saying, and what you're seeing.
4: Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think we're doubling down right now on teaching candidates to demand transparency in addition to comp, right? You hear way too much about the high salaries and crazy perks. And you're right. Like People are throwing money at top talent uh, to try and get them over in a hurry and scale back up from the pandemic. So, so that is happening. But what we're telling our, our, you know, our clients is you've got to take the time to demand that they're transparent about culture, right? Yes, go in there with a high salary number, and negotiate, but you also need to be upfront and dig into the details and get under the surface in terms of what's going on from a culture perspective. So yeah, I mean, I post about on uh, on LinkedIn about this a lot, but you need to have hard questions ready for the recruiting team. You need to have hard questions ready for the hiring manager. Ask them about what happened with the last person they let go. Ask them about the last person that promoted and why. Get under the surface And and yeah, you know, I'm also a fan of more than one or two interviews. I know that's a a huge hot topic, right?
0: But that's literally the next thing I'm going to talk about here.
4: Talk to lots of people and pick their brains. Ask them the hard stuff again. If they really, really want you, um, make it hard for them to lie. (laughs) Which, which again, is there's no guarantee, right? I mean, good salesmen can always kind of cover their tracks. But and the more people
0: you talk to, you're going to see if those stories line up.
4: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Cross-check, right? That's a, and that's what we're teaching people. So if you have the opportunity to talk to five, six interview panelists, great, right? <laughs> Compare their stories, listen to what's going Ask on, questions. get different perspectives, but don't make it easy for them, right? Demand, demand good answers.
0: Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's a very fair point here. The podcast is brought to you in partnership with Cherry, the recruitment operating system the all-in-one tech platform purposely built for recruitment and staffing to unify your front, middle, and back office operations. VinCherry is designed by recruiters for recruiters. Both the company and the platform are the unique creations of successful recruiters who sold their business, saw a need for a better recruitment tech, and made it happen. And if you're looking to upgrade your recruitment tech and give your recruiters a new modern operating system, visit thencherryio slash podcast. That's V-I-N-C-E-R-E dot I-O backslash p-o-z-c-a-s-t for an exclusive offer thanks dan i want to talk about interview time here and every company's different so we're going to make some generalizations here listen some jobs and i and i have them with some of my clients if they're entry level one two done fine but as you work your way up the seniority ladder there has to be multiple conversations there has to be because everyone's point here there's a diligence here And it's a balance. So I think between what people say on LinkedIn for the buzzworthiness and the reality, there's definitely a a, a gap there. But Dan, I want to get your thoughts on how do you keep the interview process moving quickly, knowing that it's a competitive market, making sure that the hiring managers are doing their due diligence, making sure that the candidates are getting the right experience, that you're not moving too slow, that we're not moving too fast. That's got to be difficult. Talk to us a little bit about your perspective on this.
1: So. Uh, you know, first I, I want to mention, and I, I said this in, in kind of the back channel chat, that I, I don't think that recruiters all the time have an awareness of what the culture is. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that could be done is more along the informational interview line. That and those is when you talk to the people in those positions that you're going for is when you could really find out about the culture. And one of the things I do as a recruiter is i have every single person that comes on site meet with somebody that's currently in their role because i understand that they will be able to offer a day-to-day perspective i as the recruiter simply by not being in those positions will not have access to now as far as expediting the process everybody talks about multiple and multiple interviews i do not think by any stretch there needs to be this massive interview hall But I do think that there's certain things that could be done to expedite. So the first thing that we have to recognize when we talk about this long interview process is the way that we recruit. I'm not going to make this long, but first the recruiter reaches out or applicant sends in and then we have to schedule the timing. Then that goes, we schedule that. If we're moving on, then we have to schedule another time. Does another department, does a division head have to speak to this person? Everything takes time right um so i want to be mindful because that's nobody's fault and we have to be aware of that because it may be you know if there's four interviews there may be four to five days in between if we take into account them doing on different weeks so this is nobody's fault it's just part of the process now as far as streamlining streamlining i happen to love the way amazon does things uh, and that's not because I work there. We have the recruiter screening call. And then depending on how it goes, we have either a technical screen or an assessment and then the loop. And the loop is considered between five and six interviews, but it's all in one day. It's very defined. It's very outlined. So okay. everybody knows what to expect. Now, here's, here's something I'm going to add to the conversation. I am a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous believer and advocate that LinkedIn audio is going to change the recruitment game. And what I mean by that is when I just mentioned the time, the response time, if we do a room on LinkedIn audio, I can be looking at their LinkedIn profile as they're talking. We could schedule time to meet on the spot. We could potentially meet that day and when you take into account a 3 to 4 part interview process that's roughly reducing the time in between 25 and 33%. So whereas that would that may normally take 10 days to get that first interview if you could do that on the spot that's 10 less days. Yeah, to but is that
0: off. is that is that scalable? Right, you can spend yes. old, I mean I mean is is that scalable for high volume recruiting? I think that yeah. is an interesting approach. I mean, let me ask you this, Ben, with, with, contingency recruiters. I mean, is that, is that an idea that could work? I mean, I think there's lots of applications here, but knowing the way recruiters work and let's also call it our methods of change because people are getting hammered all day long with in-mails, emails. We've moved to Discord, Slacks, uh, text messaging. Ben, is this, is this, is this a, a viable new way of, of sourcing and, and connecting with candidates?
3: I think it's not, not only viable, I think it's necessary. Um, and I would agree that it's a hundred percent scalable for sure. And I think it's the way of the future. Uh, a hundred percent. I think this is how things need to go with your, your candidate, act, candidate acquisition, uh, your sourcing, your recruitment. I think this is how it's going to go, period. Like, like you said, uh, LinkedIn voice is going to change everything. Um, yeah, it will. Um, because ultimately it, it's, I mean, having said all we've said about the context of, of where we're at now, right? Uh, inclusive of that is basically like the technology, right? Which is a huge thing that I go into, you know, with with what I do and talking about the, the rec tech that surrounds right. everything, right? I mean, automation, like how people, how do you get in touch with someone in the first place? Like, how did you engage in that first meeting that you had? Okay, how did you get that second meeting? You know, whatever, whether it's on the client uh acquisition side or candidate acquisition. So wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, um yeah, absolutely. I think it's sustainable in, in the
0: yeah. Well, it's interesting too. I mean, we talk about inclusion. Uh, I mean, will everyone have access to LinkedIn? LinkedIn? Does everyone have access to LinkedIn? I think that we also have to make, also think about LinkedIn as a centralized own. it's a product owned by a company, right? It's not like resumes, which are, you know, everyone owns their own. And it brings me to this idea of the future. And what, what excites me is the idea of your job experience living on the blockchain, your experience. It could be, we'll call it your, 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 your resume locker, right? Where it has, mm-hmm. you know, re, recommendations it has like i worked at this company verified dates on there it's not showing performance or anything but any employer could go on any future employer and verify your information on there i mean this is the future but does it belong on linkedin let's talk about this for a moment here there's a lot of chatter on linkedin saying that the linkedin resume the linkedin profile should replace resumes and i'll be the first one to say it i disagree because a one company should not own all the profiles Two access probably number one is access It's a lot easier for someone who lives in an area where they don't, you know, they may not have, you know, Wi-Fi and then they can only go to their library to send their resume out. You know, you can't have it in one place. Kelly, what are are your thoughts on when people say that LinkedIn resumes, LinkedIn profiles should replace resumes?
2: No, it just doesn't work that way. So I work digital technology. So a lot of those people are on LinkedIn, right? In those particular fields, they're easy to find. So, you know. Every once in a while, though, I mean, I will find somebody through multiple you know, resources of sourcing that recruiters use, um, like search engine. But a lot of people are not on LinkedIn. I'm in the D.C. area where Some people just don't use people it. People who work in the government, they can't put their stuff on, on anywhere. They are to not be found. So there are people Definitely. who are purposely not trying to be found anywhere on the Internet. So that will never substitute as a resume altogether. Um I just, you know, LinkedIn and resumes are not identical documents either. A one's, a bill, one's
0: a billboard, right? LinkedIn totally, is your billboard. Completely different. That's your and I
2: advise everybody to make sure that both of those are not identical. Um, The experience obviously should match up, but LinkedIn, you can, you can get a little bit more into your personal brand. You can, personally, I love to see a little bit of a personality shine in through your LinkedIn that you might not put in your resume. So I am team. They are two completely different team things. Resume. They will never ever LinkedIn will substitute as a resume.
0: Adam, as a hiring manager, tell us what you look for uh, when a resume crosses your desk. What's the first thing you look for from a hiring manager perspective?
4: I'd like to add one point to what you just asked, Kelly. And that is, I'm a great example of why LinkedIn doesn't work as a resume. I'm a career coach. I also have a full-time job in industry. My, My resume has nothing to do with my career coaching right? So they're completely separate vehicles. One is a business vehicle. The other is a career vehicle and and they wouldn't line up. Um, sorry to sidebar there, but yeah, I agree. It just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Most people that want that just want that because they're going to submit 300 resume applications in like right. four weeks. <laughs> uh, in terms of what do I look for right away? Um, I guess the short version is a pr- strong personal branding statement, right? Some kind of some kind of summary that tells me, you know, what you care about, what your strengths are, and then some sort of evidence that says this is why you should care. Um, I look at way, way too many resumes. And, you know, Dan, I think you work at a big, giant company. You can kind of attest to this. But when I post or when I write a hiring, like a job rec, and I get a wave of candidates back, it's typically in a PDF. And it's typically between 20 to 30 people. And my hiring team will say, hey, pick five. And we're going to dump those into... To phone screens, right um that's a lot of that's a lot of information to go through in a relatively short amount of time so yes, you know I, I'm not gonna read every single word of every single resume. I often just don't have the time. I'm gonna try to give every resume my best shot. so I typically would say put the best stuff up front, right um, figure out a way to convince your audience to read as much of the resume as they need to to be convinced that you're the right person for the role and for me. I'm looking for how did their passions connect to this work statement, right? What are the strengths that they have to put on the table and how would I leverage them you know, in the role? And then, of course, from there, it's prove it to me, right? Show me the data. Show me the results you delivered. How did you create impact? How did you create ROI? It's the it's the proof is in the numbers in most cases.
0: Interesting. So let's flip the tables on that. And Ben, let's go to the recruiter's perspective there. I, I, I attest to this and I don't care how much flack I get for this. I could read a resume in less than six seconds and know if it's going to be right because my clients are looking for me to hire people who are qualified on paper for the role. And we talk about character over skill. Listen, we all want to hire good people. Like no one wants to hire an asshole or a jerk at their company, but that's difficult sometimes to find out in the modern interview process because everyone's putting their best self forward. So let's put that out there for a minute. My companies, my clients, they want to hire people who are going to be able to do the job on paper. So therefore, I could look at a resume and see where people work, how long they've worked there for, what their skills are. If they're coming from a target company, and that way in six seconds, I know what it's all about. Ben, let's let's dispel this myth, right? That we should be looking at every recruiters, right? Like we have to be conscious of our time and dime and efficiency and effort.
3: Yeah, so I'm going to throw a huge curveball out. I'm going to disagree with probably everybody. Sure. Um, and say LinkedIn is critical. I think it's vital. Um, I think it's absolutely where literally everyone needs to be. Um, if you want to be found, if you want to find people, uh, if you want to engage, network, if you want to do anything, I think get with the times, whatever, like however you want to put it. Um, I understand what you said. Hey, why? Yeah, I mean, it. It. I mean, we're not
0: against it. I mean, I think all of us here are on LinkedIn for the right reasons for that, but we're yeah. like, specifically for being the truth, the destination of your job history. That everyone's going to reference.
3: Yeah, so I totally agree with what you said, like the blockchain concept, right? I I think that's amazing. And obviously, whoever's going to come out with that is going to be a billionaire. And, you know, I mean, that will be an awesome, awesome concept, right? So everything can be verifiable and all of that. But I, I like I said, I do think everything starts with with the with the LinkedIn concept. And I think truly, that your LinkedIn profile is something that shows exactly who you are and can echo so much about your resume. Like you said, done right. six seconds is the average time a hiring manager looks at a resume, right? On average, on the whole, right? We're not talking about, mm-hmm. I don't know what Adam does specifically exactly, but right, <laughs> you know, but you know, six seconds is the average. Like that's across the board, uh, in industry. But with that said on LinkedIn, we can, we can dive deep. We can dissect. We can go into. I think Keller mentioned personality aspects and different things, right? And we can kind of pull from that, right? And then from there, we can get a resume, right? You know what I mean? So if you're, if you're on, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, we can say, okay, let's get resume from there, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah, and
0: and and I and I do it a little bit differently because when I find the resume that comes across my desk that I like, I'm going to cross reference nine out of ten times. I'm going to go to LinkedIn and I'm going to check them out. Dan, when do you do that? When you see a resume come your way that you like, you going to see what they're doing on LinkedIn? And let me ask you this. Are you going to hold it against them if they don't have a fully fleshed out LinkedIn profile? Because that's what this kind of leads to, right? If we're saying that everything needs to leave on LinkedIn, how do you, how do you, you know, disqualify or or you know score somebody less because they they don't put the time into LinkedIn?
1: Sure. So first of all, I want to acknowledge that you cannot ethically or morally hold somebody accountable, especially when we're talking about globally for potentially not having a LinkedIn profile. Agree. Um, This being said, I get very passionate about this topic because first of all, I hate resumes. I'm not saying that they don't have a place. I'm saying that so many resume writers use the same freaking template that it drives me nuts. So basically you're looking at this blanket of crap that all looks the same. And all I'm trying to see when I look at resumes is is what their degree is, what they went to school, and a couple of other things. The truth of the matter is that I think companies are chicken shit. Um, I am looking for culture ad. I am looking for somebody that can add something that we do not have to the organization. I can't find that on a resume. If I'm looking at LinkedIn, if I'm looking at something else, then I could certifiably see and look for things. And and there's items that tell me how that person's going to work. If you just look at the URL, right on your profile page, you could customize your URL. I want to see how this person is going about because if they are paying enough attention to their profile to really do it concisely and reach out for help and pay attention, then I know that that's likely going to carry over to who they are as an employee. And that's what I want to see. And the about section, the the endorsements don't mean anything to me. Um, We could get into that another time. I understand why it's done. Most people don't.
0: Same as references.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because people are asking for them. Well, it's because people are asking for them. Like the biggest pet peeve for me is when somebody says, "Oh, can you endorse me for this?" Or you know, no, I don't know you. I don't know you. I, I don't. Like, why are you contacting me? So. You know, this is part of the problem. For us to have good employees, for us to make the right hires, we need to st- to shift the focus from hiring by number, and instead, we need to focus on the individual and spending more time with the candidates. Because otherwise, we're going to we're going to maintain this trend where people are staying at companies for three to four years instead of going back to a position where, if we do our due diligence. They could find their forever home at these companies. They could find a place that makes them them, and that's what I would like to get back to.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, I personally think we're long past those days in many industries. You know, some are. It's interesting. I I started, you know, early in my career. I was working at XM 2005 to 2011, and I'm still connected with people that have been there since then. And I'm looking; they've been there 18, 19 years. It's one of the, you know, there's only a handful of companies right now where where, where people are lifers. But I want to I want to talk to Kelly and Adam about this one. Um. Two different perspectives here. So, Kelly, when you're interviewing candidates, how in, in, in 25 minutes, 35, 40 minutes, how do, you, how do you like try to get a sense of, of, of character and, and values and all these things that we're supposed to be looking for and kind of smelling out the bullshit versus what people say, what they mean? And listen, some people are just really good at interviewing.
2: Yeah, they are. That's why I don't play salespeople.
0: Um, <laughs> it's not fun.
2: No. No, not at all. Uh I mean so I my method is during any intake call it's not hey I've got this job and this is what it is and it's fantastic and is it for you? I I'm not doing any selling. I want to know who this person is, what their career journey is, why are they looking, what motivates them? I want to know who they are as a person and what motivates them. So as they're you know telling me either their 2-year history or their 15-year history, which could take ten minutes, it could take a half hour. I'm hearing certain things through that conversation about, well, I didn't like this place because whatever reason, or this is what I'm looking for, so I'm starting to gather information during just that intake call for me to start kind of qualifying what would be a good fit for them uh now, needless to say, you know, at the end, I'll present them with the opportunity. I'll send them my client's name, let them sit on it and do their research, um get back to me because I think it's important for whoever it is to go out there and do their due diligence and research to make sure it's going to be a good fit. Right. At the same time, it's, I mean, it can be hard. Some people will you know, tell you that they've done this and that, um, you know, I can even go on a, a little bit of a thing that I've seen as far as, as we're starting to basically the talent landscape is nationwide now where I used to just recruit in DC and Baltimore and everybody It's a small town. Everybody knew each other. Somebody Mm -hmm. would call each other up and be, oh, yeah, I know, Joe. I think as we're starting to obviously have a distributed workforce, is it becoming a little bit, you know, people aren't aware of what company cultures are or who this person is. And maybe that could be a little bit of the attrition as well as people just don't know what they don't know getting into a company.
0: Interesting. And are we losing, I mean, kind of throwing a curveball here, are we losing a sense of company culture with everyone being remote these days? Does company culture just have to be a quote, in the office experience? Adam, talk to us a little bit about, you know, as a hiring manager working inside a company, you know, what is, first of all, what does culture even mean? Right? Because back in the day before it was, you know, ping pong tables and cold brew on tap and all that kind of (laughs) shit. But now it's about, am I feeling valued within an organization? Do I have a clear trajectory as far as my, my career roadmap? Open honest feedback and all that kind of radical candor stuff. But then how does that translate to the interview process? Talk to us a little bit about when when candidates are pushing back on you and they're saying, Hey Adam, tell us about, you know, the culture at your company.
4: Yeah. I, I I'm a little intimidated to try and describe what culture is. It's uh it's big. I, we all are, yeah. Um the way I would answer that if someone was interviewing with me and saying, Hey Adam, you tell me about your culture, right? Uh culture, in my limited opinion, is the amount of trust I'm going to put in you to perform without me needing to be involved. Um, That's really where it starts. Everything kind of comes back to the trust relationship I have between people above me and people below me and their trust in me and spider web of trust, right? It's—it's That's where culture starts. Um, If you can operate with a high level of trust and people can perform and motivate themselves, then I don't need to do a lot of micromanagement. We don't have to have a lot of wasted time with again, you know, me kind of babysitting, right? Or checking boxes for people that they can just go do their jobs with full authority and empowerment and you know, I get out of the way. That's that's in a nutshell kind of how I describe it to to people that are interested in coming to work for us or for our team is the ideal relationship I have from a culture perspective is you only need me to clear a roadblock. Right, or to help get you visibility or you know to to lift your work up another level give or air cover I'm you know again, like as a manager i'm not I'm not there to shoot you down or to quality check or to you know tell you what you did wrong i'm I'm obviously gonna give feedback, and we're gonna work together to grow and improve, but culture again is it's 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 all about trust in my opinion, so that's where I'd start with that question and yeah i I would say that in the last Again, like twenty-four to eighteen months, um, I get a heck of a lot more questions on that stuff now, and I love it. I'm I'm happy to answer them, and I I want people to be you know trying to day, you know, deep dive into what that means.
0: Mr. Dan Roth, how do you how do you handle the giant elephant in the room around culture, especially in a company that's so big as Amazon, such a a matrix giant, you know, global dominating company.
1: So you keep trying to get me to speak for Amazon. Um, well, how about this? Let's,
0: let's, let's spin it. Let's, spin um, it. let's <laughs> I'm not speaking on behalf of Amazon, but what is your personal, you know, unrelated, unconnected to Amazon take on the word culture? So, what does it mean? Like, well, let's flip it. Let's flip it this way, Dan. Well, You're an employee. Well, what, what's, what's valuable to you as an employee when it comes to culture? What are the things that are important?
1: Well, let's put a little bit of perspective on this. I spent 17 months of the pandemic on the unemployment line, uh, being a stay at home father with, with twin girls. Um, I made an active decision when I pivoted to recruiting to disclose that I'm neurodivergent. I left the workforce. Oh, sorry. Uh, I stopped working in office six years ago because I would get quite frankly, bullied and comments made because of my neurodivergence and I didn't feel comfortable in the workforce anymore. Being at home was much more comfortable for me. When I look at culture, first of all, there is no good way to describe culture. I think what we look at today in culture with the events that have happened in the last two and a half years Is and this all starts with the interview process. Like I want to be very clear, this starts with the interview process. If you're if you're a woman that's going into an interview process and doing multiple interviews, how many other females are you seeing that look like you? How many, if if you're a black woman who makes 58 to 68 cents on the dollar, are you going to a panel interview and seeing more than one? Are there more than one black women or black individuals in the department you're going to be working in? Because this culture directly relates to retention. Nobody wants to be in a place where they are the only one. And the problem is that you may, there's the micro and the macro. In the micro, you may have a very good team that's solid on culture, but the overarching company may not have that same feeling. So even though you have this this great micro experience, when you try to when you try to join um and say okay i want to create a group to promote x y and z there may not be the backing from the larger and this is where we start to see the influence from ceo down uh so that was very adhd response very disorganized but you know um it's the truth people (laughs) want to be comfortable
0: I think I think that's a a fair perspective. I want to I want to switch gears a little bit, and I'm going to go to Ben on this one. And I want to talk about recruiters. We we literally get dumped on all day long. We are literally the punching bag, used car salesman of the interwebs here, and 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 it's a tough one. And in my opinion, I think that there's a lot of bad recruiters that give us good ones a bad name. It's just the unfortunate of it with, with with anything out there. I mean, same thing with lawyers too, right? It's kind of this bad reputation um out there. How are you training? Yeah, how are you? How are you guys training your recruiters? Ben, how, how are you training recruiters to really be good at their job and not just chasing fees and not just you know going after the money? Because listen, let's be honest about it. External contingency recruiters, most of us fee based recruiters, there's a reason we do it. And let's be honest, we make a shitload of money. Some of us do who do it well. But how do you still keep the client and candidate experience and your product top of mind?
3: Yeah, so it all starts with um, uh, integrity right I mean you you literally have to be a person of massive integrity, okay you cannot be uh, someone that chases money right you know we're we're all chasing money, that's great, that's fine, but you have to structure your your recruitment business if you're a contingent recruiter, you know that's the you're you're solo right, which there's a billion of us now um but you have to have integrity right you know you've got to look at the big picture, understand. The culture fit, right? To to go back into that combo, you, you got to understand everything that's going into this, right? So I talk a lot about good clients, bad clients, right? Yep. So you know what I mean. I do videos on that and talk about, hey, it's red true. flags, you know, lots right? of bad you clients know. out there. Yeah. So you know, I, I talk about, hey, if somebody's you know doing X, Y, Z, like right from the start, from the get go, just walk away. Like it's not a good client. You don't want to send anyone there. You don't want to interact with them, right? And it, it's all about candidate experience, you know, right? They're equally important, your clients and your candidates, right? As a recruiter. But ultimately, why are we in the business in the first place? Of course, we want to make the money, but we want to deliver massive value to a candidate and give them an ama- them an amazing experience so they can find a forever home, ideally, right? And, and it hmm. really starts with integrity and knowing that process deep down. And having that, that serious value add attitude that, Hey, I'm going to find some, someone for Mr. or Mrs. hiring manager at XYZ client. And I'm going to make sure this is a perfect fit. And I want to make sure like on top of that, that they're not going to churn. They're not going to, you know, be unhappy, but also the client's happy, et cetera, all that.
0: Yeah, it's 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 your reputation, and I think reputation goes a long way online and offline, and that's what people are are, are looking for here. Um, so I want to I want to bring it home. I know we started a little bit late; we had some technical issues. I want to be mindful of everyone's time here. So let's go around the horn here. First and foremost, I want to thank my esteemed panel for joining us today. I'm sorry we're having issues on LinkedIn. I'm going to replay it. I'm going to repost a YouTube clip when it's done. Everyone could chime in on it. It kind of sucks, and I'll flip this into an audio podcast too, so everyone can get it. But I want you, everyone around the room. To give me two things, give everyone here two things: one piece of advice to hiring managers/slash recruiters to do better, and one tip, your patented secret, top secret tip for job seekers to be successful in this market. We're gonna go ladies first, and we're gonna start with Kelly.
2: All right. So hiring managers, what we can do, and I think that everybody gets a lot of flack. Of course, as a recruiter, as I always hear, is oh, we, you know, I've been ghosted. We probably don't need to go into that too much, but I would say oh, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I would say that to hiring managers, to recruiters, to employers all together is kind of getting back to what I said earlier is we just need to, and what Adam had said as far as culture being trust. And how do we establish trust is by open communication and by, from the start, managing those expectations. So I would just ask, tell them what the interview process looks like. Step one, two, three, there's going to be an assessment, an in interview two. Lay that all all out on the line so the candidates know what to expect. They don't want to take an assessment. Mm. They can roll out, move on to the next part of the process. Right. Exactly. If we are upfront about what that process looks like, when they're going to get back to you, when should I expect feedback? When are you going to make a decision? Then hopefully we start eliminating some of this error in communication throughout the process. So managing expectations. uh, Yep plea to uh, hiring managers. And then what was the second part again? Job
0: job seekers.
2: Oh, job seekers. All right. So as somebody who's looking at resumes and talking to talent all day, I would say the biggest error is obviously, and as you said, you look at a resume for six seconds um, or a LinkedIn profile we need to see relevance. Are the clients that I work with pay me a fee to present Mm -hmm. talent That match their expectations. So if I'm presenting them somebody that doesn't check the boxes, how am I delivering value to them? So for us, for recruiters to be efficient and to do what we're paid to do, then please just come to us and explain, you know, whether it's your skill set, your experience, the results that you've had, achievements, please come to the table with all that information initially and help us help you so we can hopefully place you in a position and company that's going to
4: meet what you're looking for.
0: Relevance. Relevance is a key word. Adam Broda, let's go down to you on the bottom right.
4: Yeah, my advice to the hiring manager community, I think plus one to Kelly, trust is such an important part of everything that we do and that I do. I I won't repeat that. I would say say that I encourage hiring managers to start thinking differently about how they qualify candidates without degrees. I know that's a little bit far-fetched and maybe not exactly what you expect me to say, but the world of education is changing, right? We're seeing people transition from other industries. We're seeing people skip the college bachelor MBA route and go into certification programs and boot camps. There is amazing talent out there that does not have a degree and it's only going to increase. We need to keep asking our HR teams and our people experience technology teams to figure out how to account for that, right? That the, the, the MBA days and the Bachelor four year days I think are are waning quickly. So I'd say don't hesitate to ask that question to the people that are helping you find talent. There's got to be better solutions out there. Um, for job seekers, I'll keep it real simple. I mean <laughs> again, I, I look at a lot of a lot of resumes when I hire and I hire a lot of different job roles in the technology side and I would just say, you know, if you're entry level, the best thing you can possibly do, is understand the problems that your audience is trying to solve and then pitch them examples with data, you know, where you created something of, of value in that same space. 90% of the resumes I see don't have that. It's a description of this is what a burger flipper is, or this is what a project intern did. And I don't need to know that. I don't need it. To, you know, don't tell me that you're four out of five stars with JavaScript. <laughs> that means nothing to me. I don't know what five stars is as compared to four stars. The other person that handed me a resume is three out of five stars. I don't know if they're better than worse than you. All of that information is irrelevant. Get it off your resume, focus on value, and use numbers.
0: That is some sage advice. (laughs) And let's go over to Mr. Parks and Rec himself, Dan Roth.
1: I'm dying here from Adam. Um, (laughs) So real quick, I want to thank you, Adam, for having me on. It, It was an honor and a privilege. Uh, to be part of this with Kelly uh, Ben and Adam also I call this my newsies hat Uh, (laughs) that may be dating myself but that's okay Uh, I know you do because we're around the same age well you're probably older actually Um, that's what you say when you don't want to be on again just (laughs) kidding Um, (laughs) um, so everything that I talk about has an overarching theme of mental health. So I think for the hiring managers and recruiters, we need to remember that these individuals are humans. One of the biggest ghosting problems that I see is when recruiters do mass messages. And I understand the necessity to do it. And I understand that some of the people that you mass message not may not be the candidates that you expect because things like hire tool and other things are not perfect all the time. But we do owe it to those candidates to at least say, thank you for applying. Let's see if we can find something for you. Check our website. Something so that they don't feel um demoralized and devalued.
0: Just be a good uh, man and communicate.
1: Yeah. I mean, really, how hard is it to communicate? We have to get over our own insecurities as recruiters and understand that we've all been there once. Um, and as far as job seekers go. I'm going to keep it in the same vein. A lot of job seekers feel like if they take a break, if they take a day off, that they're not doing everything they can. There are days where we just don't have it. And I'd rather you take that day off, take that weekend off, realize how hard you're working and come back reinvigorated. Think about things that you could be doing that you haven't done. Reach out for help. It's okay. We all need help from time to time just remember we've all been there. We all understand and we all know you're doing the best you can.
0: That's some good advice. Thank you, Dan. And last but not least with the final word, we're going to go across the country to the West coast. Mr. Ben Nader, tell us, yes,
3: man, you're, you're the recruiter whisperer. What could we do better, man? So, um, so on the hiring manager side, um, and of course being last, this is going to be an echo chamber, right? But, um, Well, I wanted to challenge you, man. I wanted to give you a little bit extra time. I like, I like the challenge. I like the challenge. Um, hiring managers need to work way better with recruiters. Um, okay. So when that engagement happens, I think hiring, like, like, like speaking in in terms of just a, a recruiter, hiring manager, client relationship, hiring managers need to, uh, step it up, um, on that level. Okay. Um, I think that there's, there's there's a a fifty percent chunk of hiring managers at at, at the clientele um, you know level that just just don't just don't give a shit right or they're and,
0: not hired they're not trained to be a good uh, interviewer hiring manager
3: right so I think what needs to really to flip the script a little bit right and here's where I'll give you my my little uh, uh comeback for your challenge the recruiter okay needs to do a little bit of a better job which is a question that wasn't asked but I'll 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 do the go for it. yes here. The, recru- the recruiter ultimately needs to bring to the table to the hiring manager, here's what you need to do, you know, A, B, C, you know, X, X, Y, Z. this is how you need to operate in this engagement here, right? Okay, I'm going to bring you great talent. And I'm going to bring you these people that are going to be perfect for your org, what I seem to be, you know, seeing as perfect. But I need you to step it up. And I need your feedback. And I need, uh, you know, The, the loop, I need all this stuff to happen, right? So that we're not in some sort of a, you know, a, a basic, just like, you know, no, no contact, no communication, no nothing BS scenario, right? I need you to be real with me. I need you to, you know, give me good feedback and I need you to tell me exactly what you want, you know, so that I as a recruiter and all the recruiters that are checking us out can know exactly what to bring you. Okay. Let's talk about the job seekers. Listen. I think job seekers should get, here, man. job seekers should get really specific about what they want. I think job seekers should get hyper specific on what they wanna do, where they wanna be. Um, despite all this uh, uh perceived candidate market, et cetera, all that what we have right now. Get hyper specific about where you wanna be, what kind of culture you wanna be in, et cetera. And then like I think Adam mentioned this, Dan, I think Kelly, everyone mentioned this about culture, right? identify that stuff. And it's your job as a candidate, right? Job seeker to go in and find out, hey, is this the right spot? Like, do I really just want the keg on Friday at five? Or do I like, what do I want? You know, do I want someone micromanaging me? Do I want to, you know, be remote and be loose? Like, you know, what is it, right? Figure that out, be hyper-specific, go find it and go find it through a good recruiter that's going to be on top of the hiring manager and make sure there's a good fit there and close it out.
0: Awesome. Ben, Kelly, Dan, Adam, thank you so much for joining me. Everyone watching this on the old YouTube because the old LinkedIn wasn't cooperate with Say, I want to thank you all. Everyone catching us on the replay. Make sure that you follow every one of these folks. They are a wealth of information. Please reach out to them. Connect. Uh, most of these guys are more than happy and ladies are happy to to chat when they have the time and bandwidth and just pay it forward. And everyone, this show will be up live uh, for re- sorry, the replay will be up on the dot com. Also on my YouTube channel, backslash the podcast. I wanna thank everyone for joining us today. My panel, hang with me for one moment here. Everyone watching at home, thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, look out for one another, take care of each other and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody.
3: Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam packed with more incredible
1: humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The PauseCast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info,
2: please visit www.thepausecast.com.